If you type body after baby into your favorite search engine, you are sure to be bombarded with articles, workout and diet programs, photos of women, celebrity and non-celebrity alike, donning a bare midriff proclaiming that whatever they did to their bodies after having their babies is like hashtag OMG body goals. I'm over these stories. They're unrealistic, unfair, and they do absolutely nothing to help women at a time when self-love is especially critical. The truth is, many of us struggle with the changes our bodies go through during and after pregnancy. It used to be that women were given at least some body grace period after having a baby. But in today's fatphobic culture, the message is clear. If you can't get your pre-baby body back in six weeks, there's definitely something wrong with you. Don the bikini before you're barely out of the ice diaper. It's not fair. At a crucial time for mom and baby well-being, we should not be wasting valuable mental energy on self-loathing. We need to recognize that reclaiming a pre-baby bod is about as real as a field of unicorns. Today's guest, Amber Fowler, is a health coach and personal trainer in Cincinnati, Ohio. In today's episode, she shares her number one move for creating better body feelings and spoiler alert, it's not an exercise or a diet. She also gets real about IVF, breastfeeding twins, and dealing with those postpartum body changes. And can I just get a quick shout out for the fact that I was able to get through pre-baby body back? Guys, I can't tell you how many times I had to record this because of that line. This is your mom has a podcast. I'm Amanda Strong. Let's go ahead and we'll start at the very beginning. Why don't you tell people um, how you would describe yourself? My name is Amber Fowler <laughs> and I am a 39-year-old personal trainer and group fitness instructor and wellness coach, three kiddos and uh, seven, two seven-year-old girls, twins and a five-year-old boy. And I have a husband who sometimes acts like a fourth child named Todd, <laughs> whom I love dearly even if I have to pick his clothes up off the floor next to the hamper. <laughs> oh my God, why? <laughs> why is that? I don't I don't know. understand. Uh-uh. I don't get it. I mean, and the, the undies inside the pants oh, when you take them God. off. I mean, that is my like, mm-hmm. I mean, and my husband can't turn shit right side out, so why would your children? <laughs> I don't understand. It's so irritating. That is me. So, okay, you very clearly have the same um, struggles. <laughs> That I'm sure most moms do. So why don't you tell us then from the very beginning, like you have twins, they made you a mom. Give us a little bit of background on that. What was that like? Let's see. So my husband and I actually dated for an insanely long time before he had the courage to say like, let's do this forever. So it was like six and a half years. So we were like, once we got, which I think was super smart on his part now, and hindsight is always helpful. Um, I do believe that waiting that long is very, very helpful because you really get to know each other. So once we were married, we knew exactly what we wanted. We had already talked about kids. We had talked about where we wanted to be with our careers and where we wanted to live. And so all of that we were on the same page on. So pretty much right after we got married, we started talking about starting a family because we were both, I was 30 and he was 31. So we were ready. We 
started probably, let's see, we got married in June of 2010 and then we waited a few, obviously a few months and then started trying and realized that we were hitting, you know, nothing was happening. And I could tell, I don't know, I feel like I've always had a really weird intuition about people, about myself, about just things. Um, And also I'm just a worrier by nature. So I was like, something's wrong with me. So I just, I knew someone who worked at a, um, infertility clinic. So I called her and she got me an appointment just so we could explore the possibilities of what could be going wrong. And so my, I had endometriosis, have Mm -hmm. endometriosis. And so I knew that I had it, but I didn't realize to the extent at which I had it. And then my husband actually has epilepsy. So he takes a very heavy drug to prevent grand mal seizures. And he takes about 1500 milligrams of that drug every day, which we found out then later that we were double whammy because that drug also kills sperm and makes it act like they're just, they're very, they're not very modal, they're mobile, they're just kind of sluggish and there's not very many of them, which obviously then, you know, I have nowhere for anything to go. My tubes are blocked with scar tissue and he has this. We immediately like jumped into um, trying to, without having to go in invasively to clear up my endometriosis, we jumped into fertility drugs, trying to get me to create some sort of egg that could be released and maybe make it somewhere. And he you know, we did the whole IUI thing, him going into the place to, you know, do his thing in a cup, which is actually hilarious because he came home after the first time and I was like, how was that? And he was like, I was like, do they have things for you? Like a video or like, <laughs> what, what is there? And he was like, um, it's like sports illustrated swimsuit edition. <laughs> I don't know. Like, how is that helpful? Yes. And I don't know if there's some ethical thing there where they can't have some like super, he's like, but I had my phone. I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, how do you, do, I mean, Sports Illustrated Substitute Edition, what is he, 13? Right. Like, oh, no. So, At least it wasn't like the Victoria's yes. Secret catalog. Right, exactly. <laughs> probably was there, too. I don't know. So we, let's see, we did three cycles of that with getting nowhere. So we then went to IVF as my RE thought that was a, like, chip shot to, like, we're just literally going to just put it right inside your uterus. Yeah. Like, what could go wrong here? Long story short, we did two rounds of IVF. That did not work either because my eggs are shitty. His sperm is shitty. It was just shitty. So um, after that, he our um, RE decided that he would do a laparoscopy for me to at least provide me some relief from my endometriosis because at that point, you know, I was 30 and I had never had anything done. So it was pretty significant. So he cleared all that up for me to give us at least like a snowball's chance in hell on our own. Mm-hmm. And um, that didn't happen. And so we started talking about egg donation, sperm donation. And I just couldn't at that point in my life, I could not like fathom the idea of that. So he said, I'd like to try, you know, a couple more rounds of IUI now that we've cleared you up. And he said, I really think that we should try. Mm -hmm. So we tried another one right after my surgery and nothing. And so at that point, my husband and I started looking into adoption and asking for money for Christmas that year, because just to submit adoption papers is like $500. We had one more round of IUI left, but I was like, this is not going to work. So I remember that I I had a work Christmas party and I woke up and I, you know, you have that two week wait after you do anything Mm -hmm. with infertility. And I woke up at like two or three in the morning and I was like, fuck this. I'm going to take a test because if it's negative, I'm drinking at my work Christmas party. (laughs) So it was all for me about the booze. I was like, I am not staying sober just to see another negative sign on that test. So I got up at three in the morning. I took, I found a room. I mean, we had a bajillion tests. And so I like took one, I set it down on my nightstand and I I fell back asleep because I was so tired. And I woke up like an hour later and I was like, oh shit, I forgot to look at my test. And I picked it up and I was like, oh my God. 
And it was a positive sign. And I was taking this like four days early too, but I wow. knew that it was probably strong enough to see something. Yeah. Just because after everything we had done, I was like, there's no way. If it's negative, it's going to be negative. If it's positive, it'll be positive. Yeah. I took it in the bathroom and I was like, oh my God. And I was like, Todd. And I woke him up and he was like, oh. and he tried to hug me. And I was like, no, because uh, we had gotten a false positive before uh, with one of our IVFs and we celebrated and we were excited. Oh. And then it was a miscarry. And so I was like, we are not celebrating this, but I am going to drink. I am not going to drink now <laughs> because now I know I shouldn't, Yeah. but I am calling the doctor and telling on myself because I took the test early because they tell you not to do that. Okay. So anyway, they had me come in for blood work and it was like crazy positive. Like my levels were so high. And then, um, you go back two days later and they were, as long as they've doubled yeah. or even tripled, then they're, they feel good about that. So, um, I was pregnant with twins which was amazing. So we paid for like 12 babies, but we got two. <laughs> so I felt like that was fair. Um, so we had the girls and then I said, you know, are we, is this probably our future if we want to have another? And he said, maybe, but your best chance is like within a couple years of having your babies. Mm-hmm. So I didn't go on anything after the girls were born and got pregnant with my son on our own. Like it was a total surprise. Wow. And, um, that pregnancy was very, very stressful because we found out at 20 weeks that he had an umphalocele, which is a membranous sac, basically. So the abdominal wall closes before mm-hmm. the um, intestines and sometimes the liver get inside. Oh, so they were on the outside. Mm-hmm. Oh, but gosh. they're covered in this sac attached to the umbilical cord. So they're still getting yeah. everything they need to get to develop. But I remember when she told me that I was in the room by myself because my husband was traveling. Uh-huh. And so um, I was thinking that she was just going to write down the gender on an in an envelope we were going to have like this really fun thing with my family later like that week and celebrate and it was taking a really long time and I am totally a worrier and I remember I was like oh my god the ultrasound tech left the room I was like can you lay on your side I need another view of the baby's heart and I was like yeah sure and so I did and she left and I was like something's wrong and I was mm-hmm. thinking my husband my husband was here he'd be like nothing's wrong until they tell you something's wrong mm-hmm. but and, you know because and I was like this you- is fucking weird. I always remember like watching, like I wasn't looking at the screen. I'm watching the face of the tech Yeah, because I'm like, I'm waiting for her. Mm -hmm. So she said, just can you lay on your side? And then she was gone forever. Then she came back in and got her phone and then left again. It was weird. She's like, I have to go get something for one of the docs or her keys or something. I don't even remember. It was so random, but I think they were like, a lot of my friends went to the same place. And so I think one of my friends at the time was there and they were trying to decide like when they came in ask me if they want, I wanted her to come in since I was alone. Uh-huh. So when the ultrasound tag came back in with the doctor, I was like, oh, fuck. Mm. And so then they told me, and they said this word emphalocele. I was like, oh, what the fuck is that? Yeah. And so then they told me, and they said, and oftentimes this is associated with other anomalies, so you have the option to get an amnio. And I was like, what? I, I mean, my head was spinning, and I was sobbing hysterically. Yeah. And I was like, they were like, is any, can we call anyone? My sister had just had a baby four days prior. And oh. I was like, no, I am not fucking this up for her. You yeah. are not calling my mom we're not calling anyone in my family. Like my husband's in a meeting in like, I don't even remember where he was probably Toledo or something. It wasn't far, but far enough that he could not be there. Yeah. (laughs) I was like sobbing hysterically trying to absorb what they're telling me. And fast forward, it was a lot of appointments and a lot of money later. Um, so (laughs) it's outside maternity coverage. So we got to pay for a lot of that. He was born, we had the amniocentesis the very next day to rule out anything lethal. Like I needed to know, like, am I going to be delivering a stillbirth? Am I going to be delivering somebody with a lethal condition that is not going to survive past a couple months of, I just needed to be prepared. Crossed off all of that and Down syndrome was off the table, but there was so many other 
genetic conditions that can happen. And luckily for me, one of my very good friends with a genetic, our genetic counselor. Mm -hmm. So she was a super awesome resource. Um, and the one condition that they can't rule out until the baby is born is what Dylan actually has, which is called back with Wiedemann syndrome. And it is an overgrowth syndrome essentially, Mm -hmm. um, which means he's going to be a a big kid, but he's not going to be like a big adult. Mm -hmm. So they basically reach their full growth before most other kids would. So, but we're a tall family anyway, so I don't, and he's a boy, so I don't think he's going to look out of place, Yeah, but he's definitely going to be very tall. The other piece of that though, are there some other little things that can happen? So he has a higher susceptibility to cancerous tumors in his liver and his kidneys. So we go every six weeks for uh, tumor screens and then like forever and ever you'll go until he's like 10 and it could go on after 10 years old, um, depending on the findings prior to that. So he has like a couple cysts on his kidneys that they're watching. And so that is something that could have us continue probably after he's 10. But apparently once they're 10, and I didn't realize this, a lot of kids that while they haven't reached their, reached their full growth, Mm -hmm. like that cell reproduction, I guess has reached a point where his, at some, for whatever reason with Beck with Wiedemann, the risk takes him to the same level of any other kid. Okay. It's, it's, interesting so he also has something called hemihyperplasia which he'll have forever which is like one leg is a little bit longer than the other so one side of the body is bigger than the other okay it's you would not even notice it unless you took out a (laughs) ruler and measured him but um so he'll probably like need a little lift in his shoe but like you can order nikes that way okay you know yeah so just little things like that he you know he's had several procedures we actually have one friday Mm -hmm. um but my point is is that that was a super stressful pregnancy so after the girls were born i like didn't even know but I like got my body back quote unquote (laughs) like two weeks later and I didn't even know it I can remember friends coming over to see the babies and meet the babies and you know you're in that mom like fog Uh and I remember putting on a pair of shorts and I was like what the and they like practically fell off and I was like have I been in a daze and I just haven't been eating like what happened yeah but it it was I just hadn't even thought about it yeah And then with Dylan, I feel like I was so stressed and my cortisol was probably like off the charts. You know, he's five now and here I am. And I'm like, I work, I'm healthier than I've ever been in my life. Mm -hmm. Like I, during his pregnancy, when I found out about that, like Mm -hmm. I was always a decent eater, Mm -hmm. probably indulged a little more than I would have than I would now. But, um, now I'm healthier than I've ever been because if there was, I was not going to give cancer or any other shit, another reason to exist in his body or mine or whatever, cleaned our whole family's diet up and like you, like I know you're into the like healthy skincare and personal products, like all of it. Yeah. I was just like, we are going crazy here. So we did. Thanks, and anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> no, right. <laughs> now here I am. And I think I'm still in this stressful phase of motherhood where I worry about him and you know, you worry about everything else. I mean, the calendar, the whatever, right. you're screwing them up when you're yelling at them because right. you're pissed and you lose it. <laughs> I'm in this place now where I'm also 39 years old. And so now here I am a personal trainer and in this industry where the the diet culture is crazy people are counting shit all the time <laughs> like weighing <laughs> themselves all the time and I just that is not where my mind goes because I had to do a lot of like mindset work for myself mm-hmm. to get to a place where I was comfortable with me mm-hmm. because I can get really uncomfortable because you have these, you know, 25-year-old, 28-year-old trainers who maybe haven't had kids yet, or even if they have, their bodies work with them a little bit more than they do when you're 35 plus. Yeah. So um, I feel like that's where I am now in life with my friends, my clients, 
and probably the biggest concerns I get from people is after that second, third or fourth or whatever baby, they're like, what happened? This didn't happen before. Yeah. And I'm like, I know, but we're, you're older. And this right. is like the second or third or fourth time. Like your body is not going to, there's no old it's body. Resilient, but <laughs> it's just like new and different. Right. <laughs> exactly. So that is kind of where I wanted to discuss some things because I do feel like women aren't as open as they should be about not should be I hate to use the word should but could be because maybe they're embarrassed by how they feel about themselves or embarrassed that they don't know what to do and while I don't I I feel like everybody can find that thing that works for them and so if it happens to be you know this diet in particular then I want them to do it as long as they're thriving yeah and comfortable with it and not pissed about it like you don't want to be pissed about the fact that you can't eat a donut if you want to eat a donut I want you to eat the fucking donut. I don't want you to do it every day, but you have to find like, this is my 39 year old body because Mm -hmm. I'm happy and I'm active as hell and I am eating decent, but I'm also indulging. Like I do. And I want to, like, I don't want to live in a world where I can't do that. And I think that's the problem with most women now is that especially after babies and their bodies have changed and they're having a hard time accepting it it's kind of like now what do I do Mm -hmm. and I think the first step is the mindset work before you go to some extreme diet or whatever now let me ask you this do you think that because I know for me personally I had a lot of bad body feelings even before having kids Mm -hmm. there was absolutely nothing wrong with me right and I was active Mm -hmm. and like eating well but I was I was active so that I could eat whatever Mm -hmm. I wanted it wasn't you know it wasn't Mm -hmm. for any health gains (laughs) (laughs) it was just I wanted to eat not to think about it same thing like after Quinn didn't have to think about it Mm body just went back to how it was after Bennett I, I was it was a very stressful postpartum period my parents had just divorced we had just bought a new house Chris had just gotten a new job he had a whole shit ton of problems I had a traumatic birth so same thing like yeah. four weeks later I was like back in my pre-pregnancy jeans like oh I'm killing this like <laughs> right my body is magic and then after Lennox I was like what the fuck yes so do you think that it's there, there's like it's twofold, right? Like there's there there's probably something that you really weren't like super happy with beforehand, mm-hmm. and now compounded with fuck, like I'm carrying yeah. 30, 40 extra pounds yeah. postpartum. Mm-hmm. So how do you talk to how do you talk to your clients? How do you talk to women friends that come to you looking for advice? Like getting them to understand that it's mindset and not just a quick fix diet, crash diet, right. lose the weight. How do you navigate that? Because that's a hard thing yes. to get somebody to understand that like it is. you have to be okay mentally first before. I wouldn't say that I'm totally nailing that with every person. I think every person is different. How you talk to them about it, for sure. Um, there's people that are super set in their ways and they're like, they've read some book or mm-hmm. started some diet or whatever. And they don't want to listen to what they actually could be doing that would be making them a lot happier. Like they're, Oh, I just, I can't have that. Or I can't do that. And and instead of the, I can't, what I try to tell them is I want you to not want it. Like you have to under, like, if you want it, I want you to have it. If you Mm -hmm. don't want it though, that's a whole nother story. So I don't want you to do like, I'm just going to throw keto under the bus because I feel like it's the newest thing. Go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Because I feel like though that is the newest trend with a lot of people. And first of all, it's unsafe, but I'm just not going to go there. We could talk about that for hours, but it's not safe for a long period of time. Right. If you are doing keto 
and you're like, oh God, I really want to eat pasta and spaghetti meatballs with my family tonight. That's like crazy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I definitely, it ebbs and it flows. So like for me, I have found something that works for me. I crave it. So it does take a while for the body to adjust mm-hmm. so that you can crave those things. Like I crave vegetables. Like mm-hmm. I crave my protein shake. I crave the things that work for me. And that is how I found my happy place. So if there's someone doing keto and they're actually like craving the butter in their coffee, then yeah. so be it. But like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't ever want it to be like a thing where, um, I can't. I I hate the word. I can't have that. Uh, Yes, you can. You actually can have whatever the fuck you want. I want you to not want it in the first place or whatever. Um, For some women, I feel like it's a, it's a conversation like that Mm -hmm. where I have, and I've had that conversation with them where building the lifestyle of course is the ultimate goal, but by lifestyle, what does that even mean? And what that means to me is what I just said. I want you to crave the things that you're eating, not saying, oh, I have to eat this Mm -hmm. because that's not going to last. That's not a sustainable thing for you then. I I am all about people trying these different things Mm -hmm. and then creating something that works for them with their indulgences. Mm -hmm. And then there's plenty of people who can't have certain things because they have, you know, celiac disease or, you know, ulcerative colitis or something else that causes them not to be able to have certain foods. And so then I help them build something that a diet that around that, I think for the longest time for me, it was hard for me to talk to people after Dylan, especially about this stuff when I felt like, Oh my God, I'm still trying. I still, I don't know the pounds because I don't weigh myself, but I'm still more way more than I want to be. Yeah. And I had to become more comfortable with that because I was thinking, why would they listen to me when I still have this like muffin, mom muffin top that I can't get rid of, you know? There's judgment working in the fitness industry. You're expected to look a certain way. Yes. In order to gain, because if you don't look a certain way and, and the, the trainers that do show up who are, Mm -hmm. you know, six pack, you know, Sally or whatever, like who knows what she's actually doing to get that. She may be doing it in a healthy, sustainable way, but she could also be like starving herself and hating life because she's not living. And I think that's the paradox. Yeah. Is that you can be healthy regardless of what your body looks like. For sure. I definitely, that is something that I have to keep. It's a daily work for me. So I know a lot of people hear what I say and then think that I'm 100% golden all the time. And that's 150% untrue. My husband will tell you a thousand times over. And he is the best at giving compliments. So he always tells me how pretty I look and how great I look. And then I'm like, ugh. And so I had to work really hard on my self-talk, especially now at the age that I am now after three kids and a lot of infertility drugs and shit that I don't know what it's going to do to my body later in life, but um, was worth it. But now here I am trying to navigate this new body that for a while I thought was like really screwing me over. I was like, ugh, why are you doing this to me? I'm doing everything you want. (laughs) What are some of the things that you have done personally that helped you shift from being super negative and unkind to yourself to being Mm -hmm. in a better place? I do a gratitude journal. So every morning or night, depending on if I have like a 5 a.m. morning, I am not doing that shit at (laughs) 4.50. I am doing that the night before or later the afternoon, but I do a gratitude journal. I try to do it first thing in the morning. So three to five things that I'm grateful for. And it, it does, it's not just about my body. It's about my health, having my health, having my parents' health, having a roof over our heads 
and heat and warm water, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. So I do my gratitude journal every morning. And then I've been trying to, again, on the really early mornings where I'm getting up at five, I'm not doing my 10 minute meditation at 4.50, <laughs> but I'm definitely doing it at the, in the afternoon at some point. So um, like a 10 short meditation, I use an app on my phone because with anxiety and my brain never turning off, I have to have this guided meditation because for me to just lay down in peace, mm-hmm. it's not peaceful. Yeah. It's like the, I need things on. Like I sleep with a noise machine because I my brain won't turn off. Yeah. So I do the guided meditation 10 minutes a day. Um, and honestly, I listen to a lot of like personal development books. So I, you have to find a book that speaks to your soul that can help you through that mindset work because it is work all the time. And I didn't realize how negatively... I was being affected by the things that I was saying to myself. Mm-hmm. Like I could talk, talk you up all day. Like if you came to me and you were upset, I'm a good listener. I would tell you how amazing you are and mean it. I mean, it's sincere and then go home and be like, Oh my God, look at your fucking muffin top. Why does your face look like that? Or why does your hair falling out right here? <laughs> like whatever, you know, and be so mean to myself. And I'm like, yeah. I wouldn't say that to you. Why mm-hmm. would I say that to myself? Mm-hmm. So it still is that like daily work in progress and I want to be that for my kids especially my girls to see a strong woman regardless of the circumstances and so I have literally made mindset work a daily work it is a part of my day like I schedule it in I I really feel like the gratitude is a huge thing Mm -hmm. whatever it is you're big or small that you're grateful for those meditations those meditation apps are like a lifesaver Do you do any of this with your kids to start to plant those seeds for them so that they can grow up? I know specifically having a daughter and knowing that we're kind of like on the precipice. I mean, some unkind things have already happened. Mm So it's like, I feel like you want to arm them and like give them this like really bomb ass like self-confidence. And I know that it's not, I, I can't fix it and I can't keep mm-hmm. them from that. So what are some of the things that you do to help like instill that in them so that mm-hmm. it makes them a little bit less permeable to when the bad right. stuff happens? Um, something I tried to start doing and I haven't found one that I love yet. I mean, I we have done them together because I'm not even good at doing them for myself, but daily affirmations. Uh-huh. I'm still a little uncomfortable doing that for myself. So I write them down instead of say them out loud. So mm-hmm. I need to speak them into existence a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have looked up things on YouTube or Spotify, trying to find like daily affirmations for kids. So we've mm-hmm. done that at night before bed. Um, they giggled and thought it was silly at first. Um, but now they, I think they get it. I try really hard to, when I'm telling them how adorable they are, how pretty they look, also saying like bringing out their like best attributes. You know, like my Hadley is, the sweetest, most caring person in the whole world, but it's almost to a fault. Like she's people pleaser, 150%. She has anxiety. Mm -hmm. I feel horrible about it because it's definitely from me. (laughs) And I, so I try to play up their like qualities. Like her twin sister is the complete opposite. She is independent. She is not shy. She has a thousand and five friends the second she walks into a room Mm -hmm. she is just everybody knows she's there and then you know Dylan is five but he is definitely at a place where I think he'll start 
recognizing things too, because he is a little crazier. So he gets in trouble a lot yeah. and he's in timeout and he gets <laughs> emails sent home to mom from school. So from his teacher, um, letting, I don't want to crush that spirit, but helping him understand there's a time and a place. Mm-hmm. And so really playing up their strengths, not just their physical, yeah. like awesomeness and just repeating that to them all the time so that they know how awesome they are. Mm-hmm. I never talk to my kids about their bodies, about how they look, and I never really, I tried to like never ever vocalize anything mm-hmm. or talk about food in a way that was like negative or positive. Mm-hmm. And, but when we started counting macros about three years ago and Quinn was seeing us weigh food and like mm-hmm. talk about that kind of stuff and talk about cheat days, I was like, oh shit, she's recognizing that something's going on that's different. Yeah. And I don't want her to... I don't want her to think that there's like an okay time to eat a certain food or there's an, 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 you know, so that really kind of made a huge shift for me out of this food is fuel, you know, food is pleasure and it's enjoyable Mm -hmm. and, and understanding that even if you think that you're hiding whatever it is that you're working through, you know, internally, like your kids will pick up on it for sure. And they notice everything. And so making sure that you're, I don't know, just trying to be as neutral and as positive mm-hmm. as possible because they're going to they're going to hear it elsewhere. They're going to mm-hmm. hear it from friends at school or from TV or what have you. And I think as as much as you can kind of like make it a non issue at home. Right. Right. Like we I got to a point where my daughter was like the people pleaser one was like, mommy, is this healthy? Mommy, is this yeah. healthy? And I was like, because I started saying we need to eat healthy things to yes. give us make our make our body strong and make us feel good so that we don't get sick. And so she became obsessed with that idea and was like, is this healthy? And I was like, girl, you eat that. It's not healthy. But if you want, I want you to eat it because seven and she is like, I don't know, in the 20th percentile. <laughs> you know, sister. So um, she, she became obsessed with that because she knew that would make me happy. Uh-huh. So then I realized, oh crap, I really have to be careful around her because the other two are like, we don't fucking care. Give yeah. us three C cups. <laughs> they don't care if it's healthy or not. Where she was like, I want to make mommy so proud and I'm yeah. going to eat this like super healthy thing. So, and they do eat really well. I definitely feel like our kids, we have done a, a great job. Uh, will like pat us on the back for that of like giving them variety. Mm-hmm. Literally, it took an entire year of giving my son broccoli mm-hmm. every time at dinner and now he eats it. Now he asks That's the for trick. It. That's the trick. I tell people that too. I'm like, just keep offering it. Yes. And they, and I tell my kids, take a no thank you bite. Do you guys? Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, if you don't like it, you can spit it out. You don't have right. to eat it, but just fucking try it because you yes. might love it. You might freaking like it. We do that too. We're like, try it. And if you don't like it, it's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. We, I feel like have done a decent job at that and we definitely try to keep it pretty the protein, the veggie, this, you know, mm-hmm. the st- potatoes or rice or whatever, you know, so that they yeah. like understand all of that, how to make like a complete meal. Yeah. And they, we also have pizza probably mm-hmm. once a week. <laughs> yeah. Like truly, whether it's homemade pizza, cause my husband makes a bomb ass pizza or order it or frozen. Like it's an easy meal that we just do. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. So, and sometimes I eat it because I like it and sometimes I don't because I don't want it. But that's the thing. I don't, I, when I don't eat it, it's because I don't want it. Not because I can't have it. Yeah. My goal with everyone that I talk to or that's listening to this would be that you can try whatever 
diet or combination of food or counting. If counting is your thing, then do it. Make sure you're happy doing it. Make sure it's not a nuisance. Make sure it's not something that you can't have, but it's what you want or don't want. You want to want it or don't want it. Not can't have it or can have it. Those are the two words like that should not be in the vocabulary unless you're someone who has celiac disease and you literally can't have gluten or you might die. Yes. Yes. That's the difference. Yeah. I think, um, I know I've said this to people in the past when they've asked me about certain programs or diets and I'm like, Mm -hmm. if you can see yourself doing this Mm -hmm. at 80 for the Mm -hmm. rest of your life and this feels good and sustainable, Mm -hmm. then do it. Right. And if you can't see yourself doing it beyond 12 weeks, then abort because any benefits that you find from it in the 12 Mm -hmm. weeks, you're going to lose them as soon as you decide that like it's not for you. So I think that, you know, just making sure that whatever it is that you're doing is sustainable and gives you the quality of life and lifestyle that you really want, then, you know, go for it. And like experimenting with things too to see what works. So if you do, I had a period of time where I was having some like major skin issues. I have this like patch of psoriasis on the back of my neck, for example. And I was like, what the hell is going on? So doing an elimination diet was the only option for me to figure out what the heck was making that flare up because it was painful. And then it would like travel up my head and I was like, ah. So I have found that I have a a gluten intolerance because I literally eliminated that and dairy and all these other things just and then added them back in. After four weeks, I started adding them back in. And that is something that worked for me because I had, I didn't use the like can or can't because at that time I wanted to figure out what was going on with me. So I didn't want to eat those things because I knew that I had to eliminate them for a certain amount of time and then add them back in to figure out what the culprit was. Yeah. So now that I know, so now if I do eat pizza that is not gluten-free, I am going to have an irritation probably the next day, but it's not going to be massive because I won't have had it other days. Yeah. You know, or, you know, I have a friend who can't have dairy now and she never knew that that was upsetting her belly. Mm -hmm. And so now she just has, she's like, oh, I didn't realize there was a substance. I didn't realize almond milk would be yummy. Mm -hmm. And so finding out things like that, I think is for sure. Okay. But if you're solely just doing it for the purpose of losing weight, I think you've lost your way because while I know that is the forefront of most people's minds when they're eating or dieting or Mm -hmm. whatever, I think that if you're only doing some sort of food combination solely to lose weight. I do think you've lost your way. I think you have to have a a, a stronger purpose than that, a stronger why as to why you're doing that. Mm -hmm. Is it, if it just to remove 10 pounds, it's not going to stay off. Those 10 pounds are going to come back the second you lose them because your why isn't big enough for what you're doing, why you're doing what you're doing. There has to be something else because if those 10 pounds are all you're looking at, but yet the life you're leading makes you happy, then fuck those 10 pounds. I mean, you have to feel good and be happy about it and go to eat with your family and have birthday cake at the birthday party and be okay with that long term. Like if you do it for a little while just so you can figure something out or what's upsetting your body or whatever wreaking havoc on you if you have had constant headaches or belly problems or whatever it is, then yes, figure that shit out. But once you do, then you find your happy place. That's where the magic happens. You can't just do it just to lose the weight because it is most likely going to come back. Mm -hmm. And that is truly what I tell a lot of people. And if you're not ready, then don't even try Yeah, because you're not going to stick with it and you're just going to be pissed. And then you're going to be pissed that you spent all this money on whatever it is that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And that's just, I don't want people to do that when they work with me. I'm like, no, don't buy this stuff that I'm telling you to buy. (laughs) If you're not really going to divulge yourself into it, because here's the reason I want you to do it. Yeah, It's not just so that you lose weight. It's so that you find your happy place in whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And for me, I found that with what I'm doing and it makes me happy and I can still have little things. And I know what 
triggers my body now. Mm-hmm. And I became like familiar with that. And yeah. I think that is probably the most important thing. When you are working with clients and specifically when you're working with women, where do you like to focus? Where do you like to focus with them? And like, what do you think is the most important thing that any woman should do if she wants to like have better physical fitness or better physical health? Like what can she do movement wise Mm -hmm. or what's your recommendation? Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was like a really hard way to get there. I felt where you were going with it. I get it. So a lot of people will ask me because I, the way I do my personal training is it is um, monthly. The price varies depending on frequency per week. So one, two, three times a week. I actually want to take one time off the week off the table because it's annoying to me that I even offer it because we're not going to get anywhere in one session a week. It's just not going to happen. But if that's all you can afford, then I can, then I offer those people options for the gym. Mm -hmm. Like I don't just let people on their way, but most of my clients are two and three day a week people. And on the days that they're not with me, it is very hard for them to get to the gym. They don't go because they need the accountability. They need the person telling them what to do. Mm -hmm. And so I, I put it out there of different class options or whatever, or taking a walk, just movement in general, stretching. So where we usually start is I have a goals sheet that everyone fills out when they start working with me. Like what is your ultimate goal? And I would say 95% is weight loss hands down. And so when I see that answer, which happens all the time, I like inadvertently like dive into that after in the first like session or two, you know, like, what is it about your weight that's bothering you the most? And let's talk about, do you want to talk about what you're eating and is anything else bothering you? Do you have stomach issues? Do you have headaches? So we kind of find a workaround and then I find out what the real problem is, is not really the weight. They have a, like a whole, it ends up turning into being nothing about food whatsoever. It's something in their personal life or something mm-hmm. at their job or whatever that's stressing them out that typically causes the weight gain to begin with. They're like, well, this all happened when I started working more hours and having to bring my work home or after I had my child and we were in the NICU for X amount of weeks or having my son who has autism and, you know, things like that. And I'm like, that's, that's the deeper issue yeah. that we have to work with first in your mindset. And that is something that you have to do. And then from that, then you will get results here. Mm-hmm. And so the gym is definitely a therapy session. Um, which I'm sure you're familiar with too. People tell you a lot of things in their personal training sessions for sure. And so we work on a little bit of mindset stuff first. And if people want to dive a little deeper in that, then I try to help them with that. But really for me, it's a total body approach for most women. Like I am the option for the person who wants to be active, get stronger, feel better about themselves and just all around, like have a great workout because that's what I can provide people from like, if somebody wants to do a fitness comp or a weight training competition, that's not my forte. Yeah. And I go this full body approach with most people because people are like, Oh, I want to do all that. I want to do abs, like my, my belly. <laughs> and I'm like, do you realize we're using your abs in every single thing we're doing? So all, every single woman in the world is yeah. like, can we do abs today? I'm like, you did them walking in here. Did you know that? Well, you were walking in here. You were doing abs. Yeah. I mean, it happens in my classes helping them really understand like why we're doing what we're doing, like the methodology for each of their like workout plans. Cause everybody gets an individualized plan from me. Like not it's, we'll do some of the same exercises and other people's, Mm -hmm. but everybody isn't doing the same workout. Like Mm -hmm. today, my clients didn't all do the same workout, Mm -hmm. but some of the same exercises maybe. Yeah. So that total body approach, but first and foremost, that goal sheet and finding out why they're coming to me and what their end result is. And it's always always like I couldn't tell you weight loss is a side effect of the choices you make 
whether it's to work out or not work out. And it might not even, it might not even happen. Right. Right. So I think the other thing to recognize too, is that like your body's your body and it's built to fluctuate and to change Mm -hmm. given whatever you're going through. Being super lean and thin doesn't necessarily mean that you're in optimal health. For sure. And neither does, you know, carrying an extra 10 to 20 pounds. Exactly. And I think, you know, what you're doing there, helping people to realize that let's just kind of like focus on like consistency mm-hmm. and like doing what we can do. And then if this happens as a result, right. high fives. Right. But like, unless you're like my 600 pound life and it is actually threatening right. your health right. and livelihood, right. like it's not going to just okay. like fall off like crazy. And that is the other thing. We sort of talked about that before and I did have something to say is just because someone is thinner does not mean they are healthier than you. Right. A hundred percent. That does not mean that. It means they have really great genetics probably that are a super awesome metabolism. I mean, my, but they can be really depressed or not eating or have a food, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, definitely have an eating disorder, eating disorder. <laughs> Yes, which is not, you know, that's the unfortunate thing is that I've heard women at my gym go, well, I'm going to go to so-and-so's class because I want her ass. And I'm like, well, I got news for you. You're not going to get her ass just by going to her class. Right. Because you're not her. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's not a thing. Like, you're not going to come to my class and get, like, the same ass or legs or arms as me because you're not me. Right. That's not a thing. Yeah. So, it's, you're you. And uh, the, the choices that they're making or that they're doing for themselves, that is... There, there's the side effect of the choices they make isn't necessarily just weight loss, but it's how they decide to take care of their bodies. So yes. just feeling better, I think, is hands down the best thing over weight loss any day. Yeah. And I would say that's the result a lot of people get when they change things up and start working out and eating a little better. Mm-hmm. And while it's really hard at first, you do start to crave those more healthy options that make you feel better. And then you understand why people do that. Yeah. And you can still have those indulgences, but when you have them now, it doesn't make you feel like crap like it did before because you're not eating them all the time. Yeah. Well, and so. I think when you can separate that shame or that guilt mm-hmm. that you may have previously associated with it, mm-hmm. and that's all back to that mindset, but understanding that like, just like eating one salad is not mm-hmm. going to make you health goddess. Right. <laughs> eating a donut is not yes. going to like make you right. my 600 pound life. Right. <laughs> okay. So let's see. You're training and helping women and men um, to work on their mindset and you're passionate about it, correct me if I'm wrong, because you have found benefit and it's something that you've always wanted to do. How are you, how do you balance that with motherhood and with everything else that's going on? Like, what do you do to make sure that like you are meeting the needs outside of just doing your work and helping other people and giving them that? What yeah. works for you to to be fulfilled and to feel right. like you're kind of killing it yeah. across the board? Um, so that's a great question because I actually often tell my husband that we get his like leftovers after work. <laughs> um, and I have found myself lately being that way because I do work from home because it is a business that I can work from my phone. So mm-hmm. I'm writing workouts. I'm, you know, researching different things. So I am working when I'm at home too. So I 
have to make myself turn it off and set the phone down, stop thinking about fitness and nutrition for a little while and just like zone out and not think about that. Because if I don't take that break, I end up snapping within moments of my children getting home from school or my husband doing something annoying at night. And that is not really that annoying, but I make it a bigger deal than it is because I'm just spent. Mm -hmm. Um, And that took a while and I'm still working on that because that still happens on my really long days. So my days when I start at like 5.30 in the morning and by the time my husband gets home at like 5.30 or 6 and I'm like, oh my God. And And he gets my like crazy because I'm just spent. So the way I have to do that is I just have to shut it down. So I have my typically just work in the mornings. So like 5.30 or 6 until like 12. And then... I go home. I usually do a little bit more work because I'm in the mood. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to keep going. Then I stop and turn it off, set it down for a couple hours, get my kids from school. We come home. Everybody has dinner. We're good. And then I usually do some more in the evening just because I like to. Like it does bring me joy to work. So I love writing workouts. I love researching how to do a move better or, you know, add more to that move or nutritionally for certain people that are struggling. I love researching what could be going on with them. Mm -hmm. Um, But I try to do that after everyone's gone to bed. I've given them everything I can give them. And so (laughs) then I have like another hour and then I'm in bed again. So I have to literally schedule it on my calendar. So I have it in my calendar, like work from home. And then there's a break from like 1.30-ish to like 3.30 where I just do stuff around the house. Mm-hmm. Maybe I sit down and binge watch a show. And then I walk and get the kids from school and then it's just us. Mm-hmm. So what is the, um, what's the hardest thing that you the hardest part of motherhood like what do you think you struggle with or feel like you're constantly trying to work on or just like what do you like the least oh because you're allowed to um, I think that's the thing oh, that a sure. lot of women are afraid to talk yes. about like it's beautiful and picnics and joy and I love no. my children and it's like it's not no it's fucking annoying sometimes I think that I mean when they were little the thing I hated the most, I said I would, if I would have a fourth child, if I never, ever had to breastfeed again mm-hmm. or potty train, because I think breastfeeding is the hardest thing in the entire world, but I really wanted to do it for at least six months with both kids or all three kids, but both pregnancies. Yeah. And you I thought- You breastfed twins? Well- I be I started that way and then I was like this takes too fucking long. <laughs> so then I became one with the pump. So I would like strap on this pump bra and then put them in boppies and it was twenty minutes. I done. mean, but on it like it was amazing. <laughs> but two babies, I, like, one's produ- hard enough. I was very lucky. Like I made a lot of milk yeah. and so it just kept coming. But I it was it sucks. Yeah. I was sore. And then within an hour I was like ready to go again. And it's it's <laughs> you're always naked and it's just oh my god, it's terrible. And then I got like I don't even know I didn't even know this was possible and maybe people uh, maybe you don't I don't know if you know about this but after um, I'm trying to remember if it was Dylan or my twins I think it might have been the twins I got a yeast infection and I was like oh how did I get a yeast infection from nursing and they were like no it's in your nipples I was like what, what? yes I, exactly. That's what I did. So what happened was I got mastitis uh, after the twins. Yeah, I took the antibiotic. And I always, you know, whenever I have, like, something that I need antibiotic for, my whole life I've been like, well, can you just give me the oral diflucan prescription? <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Just give it to me. So <laughs> I had taken it for the mastitis. And... I was like, why does it feel like someone's wanting a blowtorch to my nipples? Like, what is happening? So I went in and she was like, oh God. She took up the lady at St. Elizabeth, 
because that's where my friend worked, and so I got like a free consultation. <laughs> and so the lady took a picture. She's like, "Can I take a picture?" I was like, what? "Just my nipples, right?" And she's like, "Yeah." She's like, "This is a really bad case." I was like, "Awesome! I'm gonna be in some like medical book of like the worst oh yeast God. infection of nipples ever." But I said, "I didn't even know that was." I, I was like, "How can you?" Because she told me staring at me, and I was like. How can you tell I have a yeast infection? She's like, no, in your nipples. I was like, oh. And she said, do you see all that, like, white? And she's like, yes, that's it. That's from the, I don't know, I don't even understand, but it's from probably a combination of the, basically that's how babies get the thrush. Yeah. And so she's like, are you actually nursing? And I was like, no, I'm pumping. Uh So I had to, because I would just, like, rinse out my shit and then, like, put it back on two hours later or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, I had to do that every time. I had to wash my boobs every time and then put the stuff on. It was a shit show. So I finally was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I can't do it. So I had to, I stopped at about four or five months with the girls because it was so terrible. And I asked, I asked her like, how can I get rid of this? Yeah. And she was like, the only way is to stop. And I would never tell anyone to stop, but there's no other way it's going to go away. So you, oh, whoa. So it was horrible. I had to wear those little, you know, those nipple guards. Yeah. And I mean, I looked like Madonna in like the eighties or whatever with like the cone boobs. It was so, I couldn't go in public. It was ridiculous. Oh, and my them all the time, not just when you were pumping. Oh, because if anything touched them, I was like sent through the roof. It was so painful. And so the last ditch effort, I remember it was like a fall afternoon. So it was kind of chilly. Yeah. And my friend came over, God bless her. And because I had the one thing I hadn't tried to try to get this shit to go away was sun exposure. So she came over, (laughs) held two umbrellas while I sat on my balcony with my top off like this, trying to get sun exposure on my nipples. I'm not. It was the most ridiculous thing ever. And I was like, if this doesn't work, I'm done. And she was like. You have truly given it your all. Like I'm sitting on my balcony topless in Cincinnati, Ohio, in a family neighborhood. (laughs) Like this is not, this is definitely giving it my all. So yeah, I gave up after that. I don't remember why I got on that tangent. Why did I get on that tangent? Um, breastfeeding and I said you breastfeed the hardest thing and the hardest thing yes. so I would say breastfeeding for sure and no one warns you about that shit I don't think enough it's super freaking hard and then the potty training was just awful that just sucked yeah with both of my kids I realized once I trained Dylan that my girls actually weren't as bad as he was so I was like oh no I'm grateful but it's too late now because <laughs> I already <laughs> called them little shits for taking so long so whatever but um I think now though with them being the ages that they are my husband and I just had this conversation as I was saying I think that babies are easy and I never thought that it was hard yeah necessarily where I was like oh my god this is awful I was tired but I never felt like as crazed as I actually do now because I think you can put a baby in something mm-hmm. and then like walk away like these little people are around me all the time and they're always talking to me and touching me and, <laughs> and I'm like oh my god leave me alone and now they're all in school full time and I still feel that way after an hour of them being home I'm like stop talking yes stop talking mm. and um, I think the hardest thing now is I worry that when I do snap when mm-hmm. I lose my shit I'm like oh god I've screwed them up forever they're gonna remember this time in therapy they're gonna be like 25 <laughs> they're gonna be like this one time my mom said X and then I'm gonna be like oh god I ruined you so I think that's the hardest part now is like they're so impressionable now yeah. until forever yeah and now I just have to be, like, not perfect because I don't want them to think perfection is the goal, but, like, not an asshole. And sometimes I'm an asshole because yeah. I'm just done. I try not to cuss in front of my kids, but I do have, like, a, a sailor mouth. And my husband's always like, oh, my God, because he's better at it than I am at not doing it. And so I'm just I, – I'm so trying harder because sometimes I'll be like, you guys – 
look at this. Are you kidding me? I'm like, oh my God, pick your shit up. Yes. And I've said that to them. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh my God, don't call CPS. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I love you just but I already told you 25 times. So pick your shit up. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? So I, the postpartum-ness, what do you think or what do you wish more moms would talk about openly or, you know, I'm sure that you're very open with your close circle of friends, Mm -hmm. but what do you wish was like more mainstream or Mm -hmm. just like less taboo to talk about, whether it's in regard to motherhood or pregnancy or infertility, what, what do you wish would be, people would just be like, you know what, this, this needs to be on the table. Oh my gosh. There's so many things. Um, I think now though, especially with the kids, the age that they are, I think talking about the like, I don't know the the ridiculousness of some of it. I mean, you know, I was. I mean, I told you this is like the whole thing I told you about. Like, I was spending time down at the washer scraping shit out of underwear because no one can wipe their ass. Like, no one talks about that, but that's true. It happens. I don't care who you are. If you have a child between the ages of like three and seven or eight, yeah. maybe even older, you're scraping shit out of underwear <laughs> or you're throwing them away and just buying new. But I was getting tired of throwing them away and buying new underwear for three kids. I'm like, you guys just wipe your butts until it's clean. Yes. Wipe your butts till it's clean. Maybe I should get them the spray bottle. Oh, that, that might, that full would be, circle. Can you imagine what a mess that would, <laughs> that would be? be? everywhere. I mean, my boys can't even like accurately pee into the right. toilet, giving right. them a spray bottle for right. shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think talking about the body stuff for sure. Yeah. Like... Even the women who you look at them and you're like, God, she's amazing. They're, no, she doesn't think so. Mm-hmm. I mean, she she might. She might have to. She's doing that work every day that I'm talking about doing. Yeah. She's really got it together. No, I don't. I don't have my shit together. I sit at home and cry sometimes because I'm so stressed out. Just about everything. Yeah. The the financials of it. The am I raising the human to be good yeah. and kind? Am I doing? Am I doing this right? And sometimes I just am like, I don't want to be a mom right now. Yes. I'm so tired of being a mom. Right right now I just need a minute and I think that no one says that out loud often I I shouldn't say no one I'm sure some people do (laughs) but we don't say it out loud because obviously we that's hurtful like of course I want to be a mom I just don't want to be a mom today or for a few hours because I'm tired and sometimes I just want to take care of me Mm -hmm. and I think that's hard to do when you're 100% of the time thinking about everyone else including the husband I mean it's just not innate and it's not their fault it's not innate in them to go through this list in their heads of the calendar, the homework, the the activities, the family stuff, the calendar for date night or whatever it is. That, yeah. is, that is, I would say 90% of the time, maybe I'm not giving some men enough credit, but I would say 90% of the time, the women are the ones in charge of that. And I don't mind being in charge of that because I am more organized than my husband yeah. and he does work full time. I work probably pretty part-time hours, but um, you know, it's, that's a lot mm-hmm. and it's constantly going through your head. So I think being okay with feeling like you're not okay yeah. because I, there are plenty of times that I don't feel like I'm okay. I am super stressed about any of the things I just mentioned, or sometimes I am just reached it the end of my rope and I just need a good cry or something 
to, or maybe a giant glass of wine, I don't know, to (laughs) make me take my mind off of whatever it is that I'm feeling stressed about. So talking about things like that and talking about the shit your kids do, like it's okay if your kid doesn't get straight A's. Like if your kid gets an F on something, share that because some other mom's probably feeling like shit that she screwed up that her kid got an F too. And maybe somebody has an idea to help you or a tutor or whatever. Like it's okay if your kid didn't make the basketball team because there's other kids that didn't make the basketball team too and they're probably hurting and sad about it and maybe they can get together and play basketball together. I don't know. Yeah. Like just those kinds of things. We share all these successes all the time, which are so great, but we're so guilty of just doing that and not sharing the stuff that is hard Mm -hmm. because there is a lot of hard when it comes to parenting. And I think if we all shared it more, it's so much more relatable than the success. Truly. I think that it, you know, feeling like you're not doing a good job, feeling like, you know, you've lost it or your kid is got something going on that you're not sure about. Like, let's talk about the hardship. I have been open about our infertility journey because I wanted people to know that this is a thing that happens. And I wanted people that were going through it to also feel like they could be open because it's a, it it, it happens. Sometimes it's just not possible naturally. It just sometimes isn't. And it's okay to talk about that. I mean, I plenty, so many times me saying that we had twins and people like, oh, you're so lucky. I'm like, am I? Cause it cost me like (laughs) (laughs) $60,000. You know, it's really expensive, but I am lucky. No, we are very fortunate. I'm joking. You know, or and talking about all that hard stuff so that people can be like, oh my God, thank God someone else is having that problem too. It always feels like, I always felt like it was just happening to me. Yes. We are fucking this up. Right. We are doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. Our kid is broken. Well, I feel that you're very open and honest and relatable, there's 10 other moms who are only showing, you know, 5% mm-hmm. of what actually is going on. And it often leaves, I know it leaves me feeling like, I'm not doing enough. Mm -hmm. I'm not well-dressed enough. My house isn't pretty enough. I'm not making enough money. And, you know, it just, I would think always, we tell ourselves these stories, everybody else has it figured out. Mm -hmm. And unless they actually get to know you, they don't really know what you went through to have twins. And they don't know what you went through to get Dylan to where he is now. Mm -hmm. And I mean, in full circle, it's back to that mindset work to being happy with where you are. Like, I loved how you shared your journey to like to where you are now here. You were like, we wanted to scale down because we wanted to have money for travels and for this and for that. And I loved it. I was like, oh my God, she's so smart. That's what we want. That's what I want to do because it is smart. And so sharing that was so helpful to me. And you didn't even know that because I never told you until now. But I mean, <laughs> it was. I was like, oh my God, she's so smart because you too, you look at so-and-so. Well, so, the Karen name gets thrown under the bus all the time. Look at Karen with like the $800,000 home that she right. just tore down and rebuilt with the tax abatement in Cincinnati. And she lives in Hyde Park and it's gorgeous. And she can walk everywhere. I'm like, damn it. And then I look at my husband and I'm like, sell more things. Yeah. <laughs> sell more. Why are you making more money? Make your commission higher. Yeah. But I got to a place where I was like, no, it is okay. I actually really love where we live. I love our neighbors. The kids love where we live. Like, yeah. we're so happy there. I don't need something more. I want to be okay with where we are. And so that totally translates into like the whole parenting thing. Like people taking pictures of like doing so many things with their kids. And that's great for them. But I look at that sometimes. I'm like, oh, that would have been a fucking worst ever for me. Like, that sounds like a lot of work and I'm just not willing to do right now. So I am not jealous of that one bit, but I'm really happy for you. 
think that what we were totally nailing is them being kind and friendly to others, which is so important to us both, even as adults, to do that. I definitely think that he and I both kind of rock that for sure. Um, And then the structure of our routine, because I'm super structured, you know, we get our kids sleep, great sleepers. So we actually have to wake them for school at eight and like get them up so that they can get dressed and whatnot. And they're just, they're good. They they follow directions most of the time, Mm -hmm. but they know the routine and they just go with it. And it's great. And I think that we've done a pretty good balance of majority us. Like they know that we're the boss, um, but they also get some say so sometimes too. But keeping that, I don't want to say control because that's a terrible word, but you know what I mean? Where sometimes the kid seems to have more of the control. Yeah. It's definitely not like that for us, but we they still have choices. Mm-hmm. So I think that the main thing though is the, is the friend piece and... Um, being kind. And I've gotten notes from all three of their teachers at some point in time about how friendly they are and they're friends with everyone in class or they're just so nice and everyone loves them. And I'm like, oh, that is all I wanted out of life. Right. I'm I'm complete. Like, this is great. So when your kids are in therapy, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) 20 years down the road, Uh what do you want your kids to remember about your family or growing up in your house? I would, I, I actually was just thinking about this the other day because I was, I was laying with, I always lay with Dylan and I, I, you know, with the girls, we read books to them all the time mm-hmm. and then Dylan came along and we were, and we stopped kind of like, or one of us would, <laughs> one of us would feed Dylan and one of us would read a book to the girls. Yeah. Dylan like barely ever got books because by the time he was old enough to really like listen to a book and get it, honestly, I'm telling you, I swear he was like, I, I think he was just born with this like crazy inability of self-control like he cannot do it so even at like 15 months he was like two pages in we were like screw this this is not fun yeah so we read him to him when he was a baby baby but probably not enough now so now I'm having this like guilt of like oh, I didn't read to him enough that's why he's crazy oh my god I'm so sorry and I apologize to his kindergarten teacher I lay with him at night and we have little talks and so like last night he wanted to do knock knock jokes mm-hmm. and he'll be like let's snuggle sideways and so we both lay like this because I go to bed like when he does basically I don't go to bed but I go to bed yeah he always falls asleep in my bed and I don't care and then I carry him to his room yeah done and done because my husband stays up till like 11 or 12 he's such a night owl we'll go to bed at like nine in my bed and he'll be like let's snuggle sideways and talk and I'm like okay <laughs> so I want him to remember that like when he was five that is what he wanted to do with me and that we would tell knock knock jokes yeah. or talk about his day um I want to re- I want the- them to remember we do dance parties and we have fun in our house it's not all crazy and I do always feel guilty if Todd and I are having a disagreement and we're yelling or I'm yelling at them because they're driving me absolutely nuts like I'm really hoping that the good is going to outweigh the bad. So like when we get home and we just blare the music and dance around to all of their favorite descendant songs or <laughs> maybe Lizzo, whatever, <laughs> unedited, it's fine. And so I hope that they remember that we had just a very fun house. I want to be, I want to, as they're getting older, be the mom. And I don't know how to do this yet. So I'm like trying to figure that out. Be the mom that they can feel comfortable coming to with any problem, which is what I'm trying trying to do now um I you know helping them understand that even if they do something wrong Mm -hmm. and they did it knowing it was wrong they should still tell me yeah even if they know they're going to get in trouble yeah and same goes for when they're teenagers or whatever yeah because I grew up in a really strict house and I never wanted to tell my parents anything because I was terrified of them yeah and they were super strict yeah and I got in trouble for lots of things I don't want my kids to feel like they can't tell me stuff the punishment doesn't have to be 
the ultimate punishment. It can be, you tell me, and then you have to know there's consequences, but let's talk about what's fair. Yeah. Because I love your honesty. And so trying to start that now. So I'm wanting them to, you know, 20 years from now, be like, I'm so grateful that we had parents who understood us and who remembered being our age and doing the crap that we're doing that is stupid. Yeah. And, um, you know, helping us navigate that without being too strict and limiting them from having experiences. Mm-hmm. So, and just knowing that, because my husband is very fun. I feel like I'm pretty fun and we're both silly. And I think that I just want them to remember having fun goofing around. Thank you. I have talked to you. I've talked to you off now for an hour and a half. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That fun. You're easy to talk to. That was fun. Same. You are yeah. too. I think you'll give a lot of women like a big, okay. I, like I'm at normal. least I don't have a yeast infection in and my, my nipples. nipples. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Always could be worse. It's it's right. It could be. Hey, if you're still here, thank you so much for taking time to listen to this episode. I totally appreciate every single one of you. And if you like what you heard today, or if you've liked other episodes that we have released thus far, if you could take a brief minute, go into Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating and a quick review. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. You're not writing you know, your term paper for the end of the year. Just a quick little note to give other moms an idea of hey, this doesn't suck. (laughs) Thank you again and stay tuned. We'll have a new episode next week.